everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. And we're bringing back a longtime friend, Mr. Michael Lowry, who is now at FEMA. Last time you talked to, uh, we had Michael on and you guys saw him on our program. I think he's working for the Weather Channel. So we're going to talk a little bit about that transition and a lot more uh, as we uh, head into the hurricane season. Michael working with FEMA now. We're going to talk about uh, being prepared and just how uh, FEMA is deployed throughout the hurricane season and um, all the things that uh, they are doing to help out the community. So uh, we hope that you enjoy tonight's show. As always, you can submit those questions to us via our Facebook page on Facebook Live, YouTube, or on Twitter, and we'll be sure to uh, get those questions answered for you. So, uh, Michael, welcome back to the show. We're happy to have you. And uh, first question, since since it's been a long time, maybe we have some new followers here. Um, we'd like to know a little bit about your weather journey. How, how did you get uh, how did you get interested in the weather? You know, I I think probably like most meteorologists, I it's hard to remember. It's hard to think of a time where I wasn't interested in the weather. Um, actually, my first recollection of um, a weather event, an event, a weather event that really got me into it was um, I'm originally from New Orleans. In 1989, um, I was um, seven years old and we had a big snow event uh, down in the New Orleans area. Uh, and most of the South saw, uh, you know, sort of record uh, temperatures, low temperatures and, and snowfall. And I thought that was just the coolest, coolest thing. And then a few years uh, down the line, Hurricane Andrew hit um, South Florida and then came up toward Louisiana and, and um, my family and, and, and myself evacuated for that hurricane. And I think it was at the end of the day, it was probably Hurricane Andrew that um, got me into the weather. And I just once Andrew came along, I wanted to know everything there was to know about hurricanes uh, from not just the meteorology, but understanding like, why are we evacuating? You know, at what, at what point are those decisions being made? And this is, you know, as in 1992, as a, you know, a budding teenager kind of thinking about these things. Um, and I was just, you know, as a kid fixated on the weather channel, um, looked to people like John Hope back then and Bill Gray. And even as a teenager wrote, you know, actual, you know, handwritten letters to these, uh, gentlemen, and, and they wrote me back and sort of directed me in the, the path that I've taken. And, um, you know, since then, it's, it's been a really fun uh, career that I've, I've had from, uh, I kind of started with, um, you know, went to school, did graduate school, and then uh, state emergency management in Florida, uh, 2004, 2005, very busy hurricane seasons. And then went up to Washington, D.C. and worked up uh, uh, for the Department of Defense for a few years before going to the Hurricane Center um, and working primarily with the storm surge group down there and then heading to the Weather Channel and then uh, from the Weather Channel uh, going back into a little bit of research, but also working with FEMA on some projects and then ultimately landing where I am right now, uh, which is uh, with FEMA, specifically here in Atlanta with Region 4, uh, and they cover the, the southeastern United States. Now you're in FEMA now, so tell us uh, you know, from your perspective, what you do, what is FEMA in, in your position? Like, what, what do you do with them? Right. So what my, my main role, I have a, a few hats with FEMA, but my main uh, role during, um, as, as they would say at FEMA Blue Skies, so when there's not a disaster happening, uh, is I'm responsible for our disaster planning. There's several types of disaster planning. There's what they call um, deliberate planning, uh, which is the sort of planning that we do outside of when there's a, a big disaster that's happening. And then crisis action planning, which is the planning that goes on after a disaster hits. So that's specific to the disaster at hand. 
Um, and we cover, in terms of my position, I cover everything. It's not just hurricanes, but most of what we do at FEMA Region 4 is hurricanes. I mean, 80% of the support that we provide to states, uh, state governments and local governments is, is hurricane related. Uh, so that is our bread and butter. It's the primary reason I'm with FEMA Region 4. Uh, and if you like hurricanes, there's really not a better place to be. Although you could argue FEMA Region 6, which is Texas and Louisiana, has they've had their fair share of, of, um, of hurricane hits in, in recent years. Um, but we do cover things like um, in the Southeast U.S., you, you, might, you all might be familiar with this, but there's the new magic seismic zone. Um, there's the um, you know, potential for earthquakes in, in South Carolina. So there's earthquakes, severe weather, winter weather, um, and then uh, you know, kind of a smattering of, of other things. We've, we've obviously this year uh, had a heavy hand in, uh, in the COVID uh, response and, and uh, the pandemic. So uh, we do biological and, and even if need be terrorism, uh, if it were to happen. You spoke about region four. Let's talk about regions a little yeah. bit. And you mentioned the different kinds of disasters. So how, how are the regions broken down to per disaster per se? Mm -hmm. There's 10 regions in FEMA. And the, good, the easy way to remember it is you start with one in the Northeast and you kind of work your way down the Eastern seaboard. Region three is the mid-Atlantic and then region four is the Southeast. And you kind of work your way back to the West and region six is Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, all the way out to the uh, region uh, nine, which is out in California and region 10, which is the Pacific Northwest area. So those are kind of how the regions uh, geographically are broken down. Uh, you know, in terms of population, our region has, um, is the most populous of the 10 FEMA regions. Uh, we serve uh, about 64 million people. It's a lot of people in the states um, that, that we serve. And uh, there are eight states that are included in our region. So it's Florida, which is the biggie. Um, and then all the way to Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Kentucky, and, and Tennessee. Well, let's, let's talk about our next topic, FEMA responses. What justifies a FEMA response to a disaster? What is the criteria for it? In terms of a, a, a FEMA response, um, you know, there's, there's different layers of response, I guess, if you will. There's, um, there is the, the, the traditional Stafford Act presidential dis, uh, disaster declaration, uh, in which case there is a um, following a disaster, there is a uh, what they call preliminary damage assessment. So we go out and we look at, so what is the, the damage that occurred? Um, uh, and then the, the states decide, the governor of the states decide whether or not they want to request for disaster assistance. That is then um, sent through FEMA and a recommendation is sent to the president. And then the disaster is, um, you know, if, if the recommendation is made and the president declares the disaster, then that sort of opens a spigot, if you will, for federal monies to begin to flow to the state. Not just, you know, not just the money, but the, the stuff and the resources and the teams and that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of though, you know, what we do on, on activations, it can vary quite a bit. Um, I, generally speaking, when you, when you get to the um, level of FEMA, the, the federal response, it tends to be like these really big time catastrophic events that we're involved in. Uh, we we uh, do participate in um, uh, events outside of what you would think of as being uh, disasters. So if there is a, um, a Super Bowl, for example, like we've had, we had this past year in, in Tampa in our region, um, our region will uh, spin up to support 
um, the efforts, uh, the crisis uh, management or the consequence management uh, side of that, uh, that effort, things like um, uh, uh, political conventions, so the, the Democratic National Convention or Republican National Convention, um, if they are held in our region, then we'll support those efforts. Um, but in terms of the, um, the weather impacts, we do have a, we have a group within our um, uh, 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 building that, uh, sp that specifically is dedicated toward determining whether or not we would need to activate um, for a certain disaster. And it's, it's, not, it's not really a cut and dry thing. It's not simply based on, you know, if we expect a big, um, I mean, typically if there's a big tornado outbreak, we'll uh, expect it will be activated. Um, but for uh, tropical cyclones, for example, it's not based on wind alone. We kind of look at it in, at its, in, in its entirety what the potential impacts would be. And then also it depends on the states. Uh, some states uh, kind of look to the federal governments for support. And sometimes, you know, depending on the state, they may have what they need to um, support the disaster. And they say, you know, we don't uh, we're not seeing that our resources are going to be tapped or that we're, our capabilities may be exceeded. So we're not going to need the support from FEMA. So we kind of stand down. Um, you know, like I said, generally, it's the big hurricanes, the big tornado outbreaks. Um, we have a, a smaller footprint for, um, you know, kind of the one-off events. Uh, if you have, you know, a tornado that affects a a certain community that we may send in, uh, you know, some assistance teams, um, but as a region, usually you don't see us really spin up until you get these big hurricane type events. For a family that might be uh, impacted by a disaster and the post-disaster response from FEMA, what might it look like for that family to receive assistance from FEMA? I think the biggest um, things that family will, families will see from FEMA is what we call individual assistance. Um, so, you know, the sort of uh, grants um, for uh, disaster assistance that can help you uh, to rebuild in the, in the wake of a disaster, um, you know, rental assistance, that sort of thing. If you need temporary uh, sheltering, temporary housing, um, you know, there, there, there are tremendous benefits to, um, uh, to, to families uh, from the agency. But I would say, uh, you know, generally what we, what we tr try to uh, tell people is, you know, the, the federal government is kind of your, your last line of support, right? Um, it's best if you can be self-sufficient, if you can get your insurance ahead of time, you know, if you can make sure that your home is, is sturdy. This is the sort of support in terms of financial support that you may get from FEMA uh, if your house is, com is completely destroyed, is not going to is not going to pay to rebuild your house. It's not that sort of. I don't know what the numbers are now in terms of the maximum grants that you can get, but you know it's probably on the order of, of thirty something thousand dollars, uh, and that's maximum. I mean, most people don't see that. They see you know seven, eight thousand, six, seven, eight thousand um, dollars, which is helpful. Um, but it, uh, again, you know, you really uh, don't want to rely on FEMA uh, to come in and, and to provide that that. Um, assistance that you might need um, to completely rebuild. I mean, they're there to support um, the families, but at the end of the day, you know, what we're trying to message to people is we want the individual to prepare uh, in advance, you know, to make sure that they have a plan, that they have the insurance that they need, um, you know, and then FEMA will be there as, as best it can. But, you know, it's, when you're talking these monumental catastrophic hurricanes, um, they're, Unfortunately, it's just not enough money to to give out to to everybody. If we we all wish there was, but um, 
but there but there are a lot of um, uh, support mechanisms through FEMA. Like I said, not just in, in terms of the finance, but uh, in terms of some of the um, uh, you know medical assistance teams that go out and are on the ground helping helping folks. Um, it, you know, making sure that if uh, you know people are displaced, that they have a place to go. For those families that find themselves in the unfortunate situation that they do have to rely on the federal government for those grants, how would they start that process? Where do you, is there a website you go to to submit an application? Yeah, uh, you, it's uh, there. Typically what happens is after a disaster that there are, there are teams that are sent out on the ground and they actually go door to door, um, you know, for people that are uh, left behind and um, help people register. Um, you know, there are, um, uh Usually FEMA's FEMA's on the ground and they're they're messaging, hey, these are this is where you need to go to register for this type of assistance. And for those who are unable to register, uh, we do have those those teams that go out with iPads and, and laptops and such and will um, will help people, um, you know, get the registration that they need um, and start that process. Uh, so it's not we don't you know, just leave it on the survivor to, to try to figure out where to go um, is that's part of the you know, the teams that are sent out in the wake of a disaster uh, is to make sure that the information is getting to the survivor, survivor that they know where to go. Uh, if they're able to do it on their own, um, uh, they can certainly do that. But there are people there that will, um, teams on the ground that are there to, to support um, people that are displaced. So how did COVID uh, impact your operations uh, during hurricane season? I mean, we had some pretty catastrophic landfalls. We did. You know, this year was it was um, it was so interesting for for a number of reasons. Right. Um, we did have a coronavirus in the background the entire season. Uh, I, I remember back in um, March, I uh, was my last real travel before everything went into lockdown it was early March. I went up to New York. Um, uh, to give a, a keynote talk to the Northeastern Storm Conference um, that's put on by the uh, 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 students up in, in Vermont, Northern Vermont University, Linden State. And, um, and, and part of my talk was about, you know, our preparations going into hurricane season and really having to think about how coronavirus could affect the hurricane season. And I, I remember talking to a lot of people afterwards, and it, I think it came across as kind of being crazy, like this there's no way this coronavirus is going to go all the way, uh, you know, the pandemic's going to go all the way into September, August, September, and October. Um, you know, but it did, it certainly went longer than that. Uh, one of the interesting things about the progression of coronavirus um, is that some of our lowest case numbers just happen to coincide with the peak months of the hurricane season. Uh, if you go back and look at the death, uh, the deaths and, and the cases, um, it, you know, it wasn't as low as at, at maybe at the very start, but it was kind of right at the low point. And then once the November and, and the holidays came around, you saw the case numbers really dramatically take off. Um, and even now we're just, I think, maybe starting to get below um, that, that late summer, early fall minimum uh, in terms of the cases. So, you know, there's, I, I say we kind of, I want to say we lucked out because, you know, uh, there's everything about this year has been has been really just terrible uh, between not only the hurricane season but also you know people and the suffering with the pandemic but i think you know had those case numbers been what they were in in late november and december um and and folks evacuating and, and a lot of people moving um it, it would have even um worsened some of the issues that we saw 
during the hurricane season. In terms of FEMA and how it impacted us, uh, we really did have a, a much more scaled down, um, I don't want to say scaled down. We, we had to sort of be flexible in how we uh, coordinated our teams. Um, so we didn't, typically with a big catastrophic hurricane landfall, you would see a, a completely packed um, emergency operations center. We call the Regional Response Coordination Center, the RRCC. Um, we only brought in the, the people that we needed to have in person. Um, I was there in the RRCC, uh, a select group of, of um, other federal agencies, but um, we had to be very careful with our staffing. Uh, we didn't want to overstaff. Um, the incident management teams, um, you know, some of that support was was virtual um, just by necessity because a lot of the times the uh, the teams that go out on the ground are embedded within the state emergency operations centers and the state EOCs were, were limited in the capacity. And some of these EOCs uh, were requiring that um, personnel were tested before they, they were to enter the EOC. Um, you know, so there's all sorts of things that, that came along with, um, with our response to, um, with the ongoing response to coronavirus in terms of how we deployed personnel and, um, you know, how we responded this hurricane season. Um, I was impressed though. I was very impressed with um, the way the, um, everything was handled. And I think that speaks to the planning efforts that went on in the springtime that we, that we conducted with our federal partners to make sure everybody was in sync. Um, and it's not ideal. I'll say that. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, we, you, for um, a, a response operations to really hum is it's good to have people sort of all together in that central command place. Um, FEMA is kind of like the big switchboard, if you will, um, connecting the different departments. And it's much easier when you're face to face with your, um, uh, you know, your, your other federal agencies in, in coordinating a lot of these efforts. Um, but, you know, given that's kind of what we how we had to work through it. I, I thought um, it generally our our response um, efforts were, were went went pretty well, went pretty smoothly. Michael, I know while being at FEMA, you have um, got a task ahead of you where you are uh, redesigning the hurricane response plan. I know it's it's worded uh, differently within the FEMA aspect, but you're you're pulling resources from local, state, federal, and even private sector partners. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the work you're doing with that? Yeah, that's uh, right now uh, in terms of uh, my day to day job. That's consumes most of my time. Um, uh, so the we, we're kind of on a three to five year cycle with most of our disaster response plans. And we just kind of happened in this year to hit upon our hurricane response plan. And we're um, uh, redeveloping that plan, um, not entirely from scratch, but it's, it's a really heavy lift. Um, the plan that exists now, these are weighty plans. Like these are 600 page plans um, that involve everybody in, in, in terms of the uh, input uh you know, like I said, all of, all of the federal partners that would uh, be a part of our activations are involved. The, all of the um, uh, our state partners, the uh, state directors, down to the state planners, um, the private sector, the Red Cross, um, you know, you name it. So there's probably 60, 70 people that are on our planning team. Um, and so I'm leading the effort and we're about, uh, I would say, roughly 60 percent in uh, in terms of, of, of plan completion. 
Uh, and it's a really interesting process to go through the whole thing because it's about a year long. Um, we started in uh, September of last year. So we actually started during the hurricane season. There's no, there's no great, no easy way of doing this. It, inevitably, it's going to bump up against hurricane season. You just kind of kind of have to pick which, where you want your bookends uh, to be. Uh, but in the, we, we have so many of these big meetings and discussions with all of our partners and you just learn a lot in getting with, with, uh, other people because everybody comes at, um, uh, uh, the plan from a, with a different perspective and the input is an invaluable, is invaluable. Uh, you know, we couldn't put these plans together without the contributions from, uh, from our partners and, you know, while I might be leading the effort, it's really everybody else that's that's part of this. And I mean, even the Weather Service, the National Hurricane Center is on our, our planning effort, too. Um, you know, so we're um, at the end of the day, what we're looking to do is to improve our response plans to make us more efficient, to, you know, accelerate the resources and, and, um, and that sort of thing that the states and the local governments might need in the event that there's a, a catastrophic hurricane impact. You mentioned that there are a lot of different uh, disciplines represented within FEMA. Uh, for example, you said mm -hmm. there were 60 to 70 people working on the hurricane plan. In recent years, the Weather Enterprise has sort of in general recognized the need to consult with social scientists to better relate the weather and its impacts to the public. How much of this are you seeing at FEMA now? And do you spend a lot of time working with the social scientists and planning efforts and also maybe even during emergency operations? Um, the Weather Service, I would say, was kind of ahead of the, of the game in terms of in, uh, bringing in the social scientists. But we absolutely, um, you know, have people that are looking at um, kind of those, those social aspects and the social questions, especially in terms of... Um, gathering the, the, a lot of the after action reviews that happen in the wake of hurricanes involve um, uh, those type of folks. Um, so I, I guess it, it, not directly, I would say, we don't um, typically have the social scientists as part of the planning teams, although I think that's a really great idea for, um, uh, to consider, uh, you know, for, for future planning efforts. Um, but typically it's more of the, um, the tactical side, if you will, I guess, uh, in terms of how we're going to execute and how we're going to get the logistics to people uh, more quickly and, and less of, um, you know, a lot of the social stuff goes into, um, in, you know, like things like evacuation, hurricane evacuation planning. Um, so when you look to the hurricane program at FEMA, that's where you see a lot of the social science really engaged uh, in terms of, of, of determining what, uh, what people are doing in, in response to um, the calls for evacuations. And so it's embedded within the plan, um, but you know, on some of the, on our response planning teams, you don't see actual social scientists typically, um, but they're definitely part of our, our kind of whole community effort. I just had a quick question kind of about the collaboration and working with NOAA and the USGS uh, when you're anticipating these events and, uh, expecting uh, floods and um, water-related issues to these communities. What type of flood modeling are you working with, um, and how do you prepare for for that type of devastation? And the flooding, I think that has kind of bubbled up as one of the um, when it, when I say flooding, um, you know, there's kind of total water, but I, I, I'm especially thinking about the rainfall and the river flooding. Um, that's something that we have chased a lot in recent years with, with um, these big hurricanes. I'm thinking especially about Hurricane Florence. And 
the nature of floods really changes our, our timetables for response. Typically the way it works is we start, we kind of spin up five, six, seven days before hurricane impact, before the onset of tropical storm force winds, storm comes through. And then, you know, within a few days, we're beginning to transition to what they call the incident level. So we, we open up a field office in the state and at the region, we kind of um, power, I would say power things down, but we go back to sort of steady state. Um, with the flood events, it can go, it can go on for, um, and we saw that with, with hurricane Florence, it's difficult because as you all know, pinpointing, we have pretty good skill in terms of knowing broadly speaking where the heaviest rainfall uh, will be, but pinpointing where the flooding is going to occur and the footprint and, you know, just the nature of the way the water spreads is um, it's, almost impossible to do that with, with precision days in advance. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that we, that we ultimately need um, to, to make for a, a better response. You know, for example, if you know, certain roads, if, if certain roads are gonna be washed away, um, we're not gonna be able to get the resources that we need to the states uh, and, and to the to people that need it in, in enough time. Um, we, we have isolated community issues where uh, communities get cut off. And so we have to airlift um, resources to those communities. Uh, you know, so we're working hand in glove with uh, the National Weather Service. Uh, I've been over um, uh, numerous times to the National Water Center in Tuscaloosa uh, and working um, uh, with, uh, with those folks there. And, you know, they're really, they're just kind of starting with their national uh, water model. Uh, but I think you're going to see here in, in a few years where uh, we're going to, I think, have a lot of good decision type information that we can then begin to uh, weave into um, what we do in emergency management. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on some of these advisory panels uh, in terms of uh, NOAA and the USGS and, um, you know, making sure, again, that you have these different different federal agencies that are uh, that are talking to one another, so that uh, the scientists kind of understand what the decision makers are looking for, and the decision makers also understanding the capabilities of the science. Um, there are a lot of products that just float around out there, and so um, you know it, it is our goal to um, to only use those products that for the decisions that um, they're intended to be used for. And that, and so much of that is, is in the kind of the off season when there's not a hurricane or not a catastrophic flood event going on that we're out, you know, talking to the scientists to understand um, uh, what all of these different products are telling us. We have Michael Lowry with us. He is a FEMA strategic planner for Region 4, which includes us here in the Carolinas. And, and make sure that you uh, check out our Patreon page. We'd love for you to subscribe to that. There's different tiers, and those different tiers give you uh, additional options. And uh, we look to expand our Patreon page this year and give you a little bit more uh access to uh, some things that we do so we'd love for you to check that out as well so thank you all for watching we certainly appreciate it have a good night